Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting podcast. Visit our website at oalaig.org where you'll find several speaker feeds with over, over 400 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Aaron. Thank you. Hi, I'm Erin. I'm a compulsive overeater. I'm grateful for this podium to be right in front of me, setting my nerves. Um, I want to thank um, Martha and Andrea for asking me to speak. Um, I, I've been asked to leave this meeting in the past, and um, I had not completed the 12 steps, um, and uh, and now I have uh, after almost four years in the program. Um, so I'm just grateful to be able to be here and be of service. Um, welcome to the newcomers. Congratulations to the chip takers. Hello to all the familiar faces. It's very comforting to me. Um, so um, this program has uh, been really transformative. Um, and I'll just start out with what it was like. Um, I am a garden variety, um, dyed-in-the-wool compulsive overeater. I, I first remember compulsively overeating uh, at probably three years old. Um, I remember the moment I first stuck my finger in a sugar bowl. Um, I remember the relief that I felt. Um, and what does a three-year-old have to feel relief about? Um, you know, my parents were getting divorced. My home was very stressful. Um, you know, there was fragmentation and, and um, chaos and, and conflict from the beginning of my life. Um, and I had parents who loved me, but that just, um, you know, uh, couldn't make it work and um, were doing the best they could. And... Um, you know, for that, what that meant for me was um, a childhood, you know, spent in two different homes. And I'm like, I'm not usually so present to, to the childhood stuff, but I think being in this program and completing the 12 steps has given me some new willingness to seek outside help. So I'm working on uncovering some of this stuff outside these rooms and it's very present for me right now in a way that like I haven't really allowed it to be um and I'm super grateful to OA there there would be no way I would be looking at the feelings in my childhood if I hadn't been here with all of you um so you know what, what my childhood felt like was a lot of loneliness um, and a lot of circumstances I could not control. Um, so sugar was my solution. Um, food and compulsively overeating was my solution, but mainly sugar as a kid. Um, you know, this disease gets, uh, it's a progressive disease, so it has expanded out um, beautifully to include carbs and various other things. Um, and I've eaten compulsively in my life, but, um, but you know, I, I, hid, I hid cookies under my pillow uh, when I went to stay at my dad's house on the weekends um, because I needed something. Um, and then I would get caught in the morning um, for having 
eaten those cookies, and I would be told how many, I would, the box would be counted in front of me, and it would be, I would be told how many cookies I had eaten. And so shame became a big part of my relationship with food um, very early on. And, um, and yet I still turn to food um, because um, shame doesn't work. When you're a compulsive overeater, nothing works. Um, you know, if food is your solution, food is your solution. And um, no amount of um, commercial diet programs, liquid diets, um, fat camp, like all the standard stuff I hear all of you guys talking about in these rooms, um, no amount of that stuff um, really could solve my problem. Um, and my problem, I, I, my body sort of became a family problem. When it was obvious that there were a lot of other problems, <laughs> but mine was a little easier to identify because I was a little bit chubby. Um, I was not a huge kid. I just was a little bit chubby. Um, and that was, that was a very easy thing to point at and go, problem, something wrong, you know. Um, and so, you know, I, I felt that I was a problem um, and that I was unacceptable and that I was unlovable. Um, even though I was loved, it made me feel unlovable. Um, all the scrutiny and um, criticism and um, the emotion, you hear my voice, is that it's sad, you know? It's sad. I'm sad for that child. Um, and I'm present to those feelings today. I don't, and I don't have to turn to food to deal with those feelings today. Um, so my thing was, like, every 10 years I would go on a huge diet. Um, and when I was, like, 19, I lost 65 pounds on a liquid diet. When I was um, 30, I lost, you know, another 60 or something pounds, you know, on my own um, intense exercise and whatever diet that I made up. Um, but in those intervening, like, decades, I just um, ate. <laughs> uh, and... Um, and suffered over it and really spent a lot of time, um, like, feeling very tormented about what I looked like, what you thought of me, what men thought of me, what, what it meant for my future, like, whether it was lovable, whether it was I, was I was ever going to have a family. Like, everything to me seemed to be connected to what my body looked like um, and my relationship to food, which was obviously like a, a cycle of, of eating for comfort and then hating myself um, and eating because I hated myself, um, which is counterproductive, um, as we know in these rooms. And, and what happened was um, I, uh, I somehow got married. Um, <laughs> uh, incomprehensible to me um, because I wasn't in program. Uh, I don't know who that was that got married, but thank God, some, you know, my higher power led me to a man who loved me unconditionally. Um, and uh, I went through fertility treatments to get pregnant, got pregnant, had twins, um, and uh, they were 18 months old. And like the minute they were, the minute they were born, I gained 45 pounds. So it was like, I gained a lot of weight in the pregnancy, the babies came out, you know, they were however many pounds, and then I put on 45 pounds. 
Um, and people are like, it's the baby weight. It's the baby weight. And you'll see from the pictures that I sent around. Um, uh, you know, I was 235 pounds when I came into these rooms. Um, I'm now about 180, 185. I have been as low as 165 in these rooms. Doesn't matter. Um, you know, I've had significant physical recovery. I went from size 18 to a size 10. Um, and um, I feel good in my skin today. Um, I feel like I can walk into any room today um, and come across as a normal person. <laughs> uh, you guys, you know. I'm not, but um, that's, that's, that's the, the ruse I'm able to perpetrate in a normal body size. Um, so, um, you know, I, I put on all that weight after the babies were born um, because I could not handle it. I went back to work when they were 12, 10, 12 weeks old. I had a big job. Um, I had twins. I had a marriage. And all I could do was eat cookies. All I could do. Um, I would come home at night and just start the dance back and forth to the cabinet, back and forth to the cabinet. And was like pre-diabetic and huffing and puffing going up and, up and down the subway steps. I lived in New York City um, and was just um, just absolutely overwhelmed with the abundance in my life um, and this feeling of these two like vulnerable humans that I had made. <laughs> um, and, um, you know, it was terrifying. Um, and underneath all of my eating and and everything for me, all of my compulsive overeating is fear. Um, underneath absolutely everything is fear for me. Um, and I was just afraid I'd fuck it up. Ooh, sorry. <laughs> Beep. Uh, I was afraid I would mess it up. Uh, sorry about that. Uh, that's how profoundly I feel it. You know, I just, I, I really was afraid. And, um, uh, we went away on a family vacation. Um, I don't know anyone. I didn't know before this program anyone who had ever done OA. I just think as a lifelong compulsive overeater, it was like in my consciousness that that this existed. I just did not want to come here. Um, I had been in another program briefly for relief. I would go to meetings. I didn't work the steps. I didn't get a sponsor, but I got some relief in in another room of this program. And I mean of a 12-step program, and um, I guess I must have heard of it that way, um, and I thought of it as the last house on the block. Like, I've got to be desperate to go there, um, because the name, ugh, <laughs> I just seemed yuck, um, not like it, and then um, I was on a family vacation that I just ate my way through. I just could not be present. You know, all I cared about was, like, the, the chips and queso on the table and, like, was anybody going to finish that? Um, and I uh, came home and picked a huge fight with my husband, and he was like, what is going on? And I was like, I have to go to OA! <laughs> <laughs> he was like, okay, so go to OA! <laughs> um... So I walked into a newcomer meeting in New York, um, and uh, the person who was leading the meeting was telling my story, and I cried. Um, 
and um, there were so many beautiful people in the rooms, and it was not what I expected. Um, none of this has been what I expected. I don't know what I expected. I just knew I needed help. Um, and um, the, so the leader was, was telling my story, and um, then I, people were talking about this plan of eating, plan of eating, and I was freaked out. Um, and I was like, I, people are going to tell me what to eat. I can't handle that. Like, I, you know, and then I went up to someone after the meeting. I was like, what is this plan of eating? I don't know what this plan of eating is. It makes me nervous. And, and she was like, you're a lifelong compulsive overeater. You know what to eat. <laughs> I was like, yeah, okay, you're right. Um, and I came back um, to another meeting, and that same person was leading, and she told more of my story, and I asked her to be my sponsor. And she sponsored me until I moved to Los Angeles, um, which was the first year of my program. Um, and, um, you know, my story is not typical um, because I got abstinent right away. Um, I just, I was on my knees when I came into the rooms, um, I was really, really willing to listen to what you guys had to say because you weren't some, like, outside skinny person being, like, wagging your finger at me, you know? You were people who were experiencing the success of this program um, and living it. And so, and I had not heard spoken out loud the things that had been running on a loop in my head my entire life. Um, until I came into these rooms. And so I trusted you guys. Um, and I saw recovery around me, and I wanted it. Um, so I was willing to go to a nutritionist and get a plan of eating. Um, that's still how I eat today. I define my abstinence as three meals a day and an optional snack. Um, it's really not terribly optional. For me, I pretty much always have it. Um, I think about my plan of eating as like islands of food in the day, like a, like a jump from one meal to the next. I know the next meal is, I know there's another island as I like swim, you know, through my day. I know it's there. Um, and that gives me great comfort. Um, um, so I define my abstinence as um, no sugar. Uh, no white flour, three meals a day, and an optional snack. And my abstinence di is different than my plan of eating. My plan of eating is a map of how to adhere to my abstinence. Um, so it's, you know, it's, a, it's nutritional guidelines. And, and I also refrain from compulsive food behaviors um, because so much of my life before program was just constantly putting food in my mouth no matter what, licking my fingers, licking my plate, eating off your plate, um, eating while cooking, um, stopping places, picking something up. Couldn't ever be in the car for any length of time without my supplies, you know. I couldn't, like, um, I couldn't imagine, like, doing things without having food with me. Like, it made me anxious. I needed the food. Um, and, you know, one day at a time, I have um, been abstinent now for almost four years. Um, July 3rd of 2012 is when I came into program. That's my abstinence date. 
Um, I have had a sponsor every minute of the time that I've been in here. I don't know how you do this program without a sponsor. Um, I really want to do everything on my own. I really want to be, like, the expert and be in charge of everything. Um, you know, I'm used to, like, checking things off a list and accomplishing things. Um, at it, my life, as it works outside these rooms, is not how my life works inside these rooms. And, um, you know, I really rely on my sponsor. I call my sponsor every day. I turn over my food every night. Um, much to my husband's chagrin, he does not like that sending an email is the last thing I do every day. Um, uh, but, you know, he also likes me better in abstinence, so I am a much better wife. I am much more present. I am much more loving. I am much less angry. Um, I am more generous. I am more communicative. I am more patient. I'm less selfish. Um, and I'm willing to admit when I'm wrong, um, which I don't think I ever was before program. My MO was always, like, to defend myself. Um, and now I can really hear it when people have something to say to me. And I can go, oh, you might be right about that. Um, and that is humility. Um, and I didn't know what that was before I came in here. Um, so I turn over my food for tomorrow, uh, tonight. Um, I turn over five things I'm grateful for. I turn over an AEIOU, um, which is, um, um, was I abstinent today? Did I exercise today? Which the answer to that one is usually no. <laughs> Pretty much always no. Um, that's the thing I haven't, haven't broken through on yet, is exercise. Um, I, and I'm very... Um, I keep saying I'm going to pray about it, so that's that. <laughs> um, <laughs> what did I do for myself in program today, in recovery today? What did I do for others in recovery today? That's O and U is what do I understand about my disease today? That's always the interesting one. Um, and, um, and then I turn over, like, any changes that I made to my plan of eating today. So... For the first two years, before I changed anything in my plan of eating that I had turned over to my sponsor, I would text my sponsor what the change was before I ate it. And the reason for that was just to, like, let someone else in on my food and to practice rigorous honesty, um, which is really the basis of this program. Um, and I definitely did not want anyone to know what I was eating when I was eating uh, compulsively before this program. Coming into the rooms and having someone to whom I was accountable every day for my food cleaned up my food really fast because um, I have a lot of pride and um, I did not want to be turning over, you know, I ate an entire bag of this and an entire bottle of that. And um, I just, uh, I just didn't want to do that. And also I wanted, I'm a good girl. I like to play by the rules. Um, so I wanted to win uh, this program. <laughs> uh, guess what? You don't win. And you don't graduate and you don't get a Ph.D., which I really want. Um, but um, that's totally okay with me today. Um, I don't need those markers in here. My life is the marker. Um, the fact that I can be present to my kids is the marker. You know, they're five now. 
Um, and I'm a present parent, you know, and I don't have to numb out um, when they have feelings. And I can model how to eat, and I can model how to handle emotions um, imperfectly, you know, imperfectly. And we have a lot of feelings in my house, um, all of us. Um, and it's totally okay, um, which it just was not for me growing up. Um, so there is, there is room for other people to have feelings in my life today, um, and I don't have to eat over other people's feelings. Um, I have to call you guys about it. Um, you know, I try to make three outreach calls a day. I do that really imperfectly. Some days I'll make five. Some days I'll make one. Some days I'll make none. Um, you know, um, I sponsor people. Um, I sponsor two women. Um, I am sponsored, so I, I feel like I'm, I'm in the middle of the pack. Um, and that's what works for me today. Like, I always felt like, in my life before a program, I always felt like I was either above you or below you. And if I felt I was above you, um, I wasn't comfortable with that because it wasn't true. And if I was below you, I wasn't comfortable with that because it was true. Um, you know, my brain just had a, like, constant critical running commentary. And I will say that in this program, that radio station uh, has been retuned. Um, I still have that radio station. I just recognize it as such. I don't think it's me. I think it's my disease. I don't think it's um, right. You know, I used to always think it was right. Because um, it, it was being so forceful and so critical and it had so much to say all the time. Um, and turns out that's my disease. And, you know, my higher powers voice is, the, is my intuition, is a, is a quiet, loving, gentle, like sympathetic voice, you know, that's, that I hear and that, that feels tender. Um, it's the voice I use to comfort my children. Um, like, that is how, that is what a higher power feels like to me. It's like a, like rubbing the middle of my back when I'm feeling stressed out, you know. And, um, I did not grow up with religion. I grew up in, like, my family had a religion. Um, but it wasn't about God. It was about culture, um, and so I did not come into these rooms with any sense of faith or a higher power or well, not entirely true. I had like a, a tiny piece of like having gone to Quaker school, um, and, um, the, the, you know, that faith's conception of God being a light that burns in every person. Um, so I take that, I'll take that as, um, a conception of a higher power, um, and um, I will take nature as a conception of a higher power and the ocean and plants and things that I don't understand how and why they exist and why they're beautiful. Um, I'll take kindness as a higher power. Everyone has it. Everyone knows what it is. Why is that? I don't know. Must be God. Um, so, you know, a higher power to me is like not personified. Um, and it's a force of goodness, 
um, and um, and and everyone knows what love is on this planet, you know. And so I feel like, well, that's that's a universal, you know. I'm gonna go with that too. Um, I'm always picking up evidence of a higher power, um, and uh, when my rational mind wants to talk to me about it, there's a saying in this program: we quit the debate society. Um, when my rational mind wants to say, well, you know, God is, pr- there's no proof in there. Like, that's fine. Like, that's fine. Like, you, I don't care if there's no proof. I don't care because what works for me is having some kind of faith. And what works for me is in any moment when I'm feeling stressed or agitated or fearful of remembering that, like, if I choose faith, I'll feel better. If I choose fear, I'll feel worse. So do I want to feel better? Um, and sometimes I do not want to feel better. Sometimes I just want to be angry and be fearful. But I know that the option is there for me to have faith and for me to say, you know what, I'm not in charge. And I think before program... I, I really, really tried to control a lot of things that I could not control. The most glaring example of which was the food. Um, other examples of which are like everything else. Um, and, um, you know, I cannot control like success at work. I cannot control money. I cannot control my children. I cannot, I cannot control other people. I, can, I cannot control most things. Um, what I can sometimes control is whether I choose fear or whether I choose faith. Um, and um, what I can control is whether I take the actions that you guys tell me to take in this program. Um, because when I do what you suggest, um, my life works really nicely. Um, and, you know, when I take my will back and I try to force things, um, it doesn't go as well. And, um, you know, knowing that I'm powerless doesn't mean I don't feel upset when I don't get what I want. Um, I do. I do. I do get upset. I do feel my feelings. I don't eat over my feelings, and then I move on. Um, but I allow the feelings to happen, and then I allow the feelings to pass. And I love that I learned in these rooms that feelings just want to be felt. And it's like a cloud that passes overhead, and it just is going to do what it's going to do, and then it's going to go. And I can tell my children how to talk, how to, how to think about their feelings. I'm like, that is huge. That is like, if I had somebody who was engaged in this conversation as a parent... I would have had a lot more tools growing up, but, you know, I didn't, and that's what it is, and, you know, I had food, Um, and now I have other people, I have you guys, you know, I forget, like, it, it, it took, like, me, I forget that I have friends, I forget that I have other people in my life, I have a disease of amnesia, um, I forget who my friends are. I forget, like, that I can call people um, because self-reliance is just, like, a thing that I – is a muscle that I is overdeveloped in me. Um, but I'm learning 
one day at a time in these rooms that I can reach out, that I can ask people to come here tonight, um, you know, that I, that I can ask for help, that I can be vulnerable. Um, there aren't going to be dire consequences for me showing you that I'm a human being, you know. And um, what else do I want to say? Oh, I really love in the third step prayer that it says, relieve me of the bondage of self. And, like, I never knew that, like, my relentless focus on myself and my food and my problems and my body and my guilt over my food and my problems and my body, like, I never recognized that that was a kind of bondage that was keeping me from living, like, a happy, joyous, and free life. Um, I did not know that until I heard the third step prayer and I heard, relieve me of the bondage of self. And I'm so grateful for the slogans and the language of this program. I'm so grateful for all these things that seemed, like, confusing and kind of trite when I first came into the rooms. Um, You know, I'm so grateful for Easy Does It. Because I never knew that Easy did do it. <laughs> I really did not. I really thought, like, hard does it, work does it, force does it, intensity does it, you know, determination does it. When, in fact, Easy also does it. Um, and you could, not, you could not have told me that that was true. Um, but I didn't force my physical recovery. Like, I didn't do that. I just did the things that you guys said. I did not go on a diet. I just did what you said, and I turned my will over, and I was willing one day at a time. And one day is not that hard. One day, in the first couple of months, it was that hard. It was that hard. Um, But one day today, I can do. Um... And, and not having to plan my five-year plan, my ten-year plan, what's going to happen next. Um, and knowing that, like, okay, I can do that exercise, but, like, how it's going to go is definitely not up to me. Like, that is just such a relief, and it allows me to be present. And um, progress, not perfection. You know, that's perfectionism. I always thought that was, like, uh, a good quality that I had, you know, was like, well, I'm just really just striving to be perfect, and, you know, I'm just trying to get it right, and um, the, the fact is that, like, perfect is an illusion, perfect is not real, perfect is, um, for me, like, a bar that's set so high that I can never reach it, and progress is not, progress is like, all right, you did your best. You know, and um, and progress is all we can ever have if perfection doesn't exist, you know. So just to be able to give myself credit for progress and not say this, the world is black and white and life is a zero-sum game and either you win or you lose, like, it's not, that's not the truth. Um, and I learned that in here because I always thought uh, – very in a very black and white way. And gray is not comfortable for me. Um, but being uncomfortable is not the worst thing in the world for me today. Um, 
I am a, have a willingness to be uncomfortable because life is uncomfortable, and I'm willing to live life as it comes. Um, so I'm super, super grateful to be here, and um, I really want to hear questions from you guys. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Tony. How do I receive messages from my higher power and know what the next right action is for me? It's usually an intuitive thought, um, an impulse. Um, a lot of times it's um, just take a pause. That's a lot of times, you know, I did not know that you could pause before this program. Like, I did not know that, like, when in doubt, do nothing. Like, that's been really powerful for me. Um, I think I just, I listen a little bit better to what's going on in the nice part of my mind. <laughs> um, and I listen a little bit less to the, you know, the rude radio. Um, it's not magical, and I don't, I don't, um, sometimes I take serendipity as, you know, as a, a sign of my higher power um, or coincidence, um, but not always, you know. Um, yeah, I think it's being more in touch with my, my intuition and just having faith that it's going to work out, you know. It's like, I hear people say, you know, God only wants what's best for you. Um, and so I, I choose to believe that. You know, I don't know whether it's true or not, but it works for me. Yeah. Thank you so much, Erin. It was so great to hear you. Can you talk a little bit about um, your event process and also how your relationship with your family of origin yeah, um, talk about my men's process and how my relationship with my family of origin has changed. Um, I'm a goody two-shoes, so most of my amends um, were, you know, uh, were, resent, were resentment-oriented. Some stuff was definitely, like, I needed to make an amends to my husband um, over some bad behavior early in our relationship. Um, and I just tried to come to him with genuine humility and take genuine responsibility for what I did and how much it hurt him um, and and be willing to accept whatever he said to me. Um, and it was a breakthrough in our relationship um, because I think I always in the past was trying to sort of be like, well, uh, it wasn't that, I mean, whatever, it's not that much. And, you know, I didn't really, and I didn't quite say that, you know, I, I really was trying to do that defensive thing that I learned as a muscle, as a child. And, um, I just took responsibility for my behavior and, and it's created a clearing in our relationship to do some rebuilding. Um, you know, I made an amends to my mother for, um, always turning to her um, to solve problems she could not solve um, and always um, like burning her to the ground verbally whenever she would say anything about my body or my weight 
um, because I know that she was just as mystified as I was about it. And she's a normie, so she just didn't get it um, and wanted to help. And I wanted to help with everything and wanted to help with things she couldn't help with. And so, you know, I made an amends to her, and she uh, she was like, no, 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 no. You don't have to. <laughs> uh, you don't have to apologize for that, you know. Um, but I did have to apologize for that because I want to be an adult. I don't want to be a child anymore. Um, and um, other amends were in the form of prayer, pray, praying for other people. And I did not know what that was supposed to look like, or I really resisted it and I put it off. And and then I did it. And really, what it ended up feeling like was just like like a like pressure off my chest, just like a relief of pressure. Um, and just letting me not, like, when I think about those people, I don't think, like, hostile thoughts. <laughs> um, and I don't waste my energy um, holding on to anger um, and holding on to I was wronged, you know, but actually taking the time to think, wow, those people are sick and suffering too. That is really why that behavior happened. And I hope that they get better. Um, and I hope they find what they're looking for. Um, and it was, that was profound for me. So I hope that answers that question. Yeah. Thanks for sharing, Erin. Uh, was there ever a moment in the last four years where you felt like your abstinence was, was threatened or even a day? And if so, how did you walk through that? Was there ever a moment or a time in the last four years that I felt like my abstinence was threatened. You know, the thing that threatens my abstinence sometimes is white flour, because um, things are breaded, and um, I do feel like sometimes I'm not... I think I was just really rigid and rigorous for the first two years, and then I loosened up a little bit. Um, so sometimes I freak out thinking, should I have eaten that? Maybe I shouldn't have eaten that. But... But in general, I think the worst that happens for me is that I eat a little too much. Um, I eat everything on my plan of eating pretty much every day. Like, if there's a thing that I miss, um, like, I make it up. <laughs> you know, because I'm going to be thinking about it. I'm going to be like, well, I didn't have a fruit with dinner. I didn't have a fruit with dinner. You know, well, in the morning, maybe, you know, I mean, I know my brain is crazy when it comes to food. So it's like... If I'm going to not have something, I'll sort of be like, is that all right? Yeah, that's all right. Okay, that's going to be all right. But um, I don't feel like my abstinence was threatened. Sugar does not call to me. Um, you know, I can hand my children, like, things at birthday parties and, like, get parts of it on myself and not lick my fingers. Like, because that is just not my food, and that is poison for me. Um, and too much is at stake. Too much is at stake. My life is too good, um, and it's just not worth it. Um, but that's today, you know, not necessarily tomorrow. So thank you. Thank you.